Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out. The kind to both employees and customers. Love and support. In this episode, I have a very special guest, Joshua Koppel from Los Angeles, California. He's a Michelin-rated restaurateur, hospitality tech entrepreneur and podcaster, a real veteran when it comes to hospitality. He has for the last 20 years been working and operating a number of hospitality businesses. We talked about how the pandemic had impacted him and his businesses. And just tell us right now, there's a second lockdown happening in California, which means restaurants are shutting down again. And he predicts this not only in California, but across the US that up to 65% of restaurants will not be surviving this and opening their doors again. He also shares some great personal reflection he has been doing himself as he had time to think and reflect about how he wants to live his life. This conversation made me reflect a lot and start thinking about doing things in a different way as a business owner. So you don't want to miss this one out. As always, grab your notebook and enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. Today we are in the middle of July and uh, we have a very special guest on today's uh, show from, from the US. And he's not just a, an operator, he's also a tech entrepreneur and podcaster himself. And uh, he has huge experience from, uh, from the LA restaurant market. So welcome to the, the podcast, Josh. Well, thank you, sir. I'm glad to be here. Just we 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 talked uh, uh, a number of times, and and especially during here the pandemic, and uh, and I guess from a UK US point of view, there's very different things happening, and it seems quite uh, you know uh, quite brutal what's going on in uh, in just where where you are in uh, LA. Before we jump into that, could you just give people a bit an overview about who you are? I already said you're involved in a number of things around restaurants. Uh, but who you are, where you, where, what your career have been in hospitality, and uh, what you're up to right now. You got it. So again, my name is Josh Copel. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is a small town in the deep south. Twenty years ago, I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I had spent my entire life in the hospitality industry, and that continued there. I started running nightclubs in Hollywood in the early 2000s. Eventually, opened my own bar in Hollywood 10 years ago. And then my, my sophomore venture was a fine dining restaurant, which eventually became Michelin rated. I also owned and operated a fast casual concept called South City Fried Chicken. And then you also got involved in tech. I did. I did. I did. So one of the, I think, most emblematic things about someone in this industry is that you learn to solve your own problems. And so One of the things that I struggled with in my restaurant was answering the phones during the day. Crew and Proper opened at five o'clock in the evening. And so there was no one there to answer the phone. So I answered the phones or the phones didn't get answered or I'd pay someone to answer the phones. But that was frustrating because from nine to five, there's about two hours worth of work to do. It's just that two hours is spread out across an eight hour work day. And I, I worked towards a solution and the solution was that I created a technology whereby one reservationist can answer the phone for multiple restaurants. 
giving them eight hours worth of work to do daily. And, and each restaurant is able to split the cost with the other. That technology is called Flow, F-L-O. Um, and that is, that is my principal focus at the moment, considering the pandemic. Fourth quarter of last year, I divested. I, I sold the bar in Hollywood. I sold the fast casual concept. And so my, my two focuses, well, three focuses at the moment are uh, the technology company, uh, Pru and Proper, which is currently in a hibernation state, and uh, the Full Comp Podcast, which we launched three months ago. Yeah, and you had some amazing guests, especially especially one uh, that I tuned into uh, a bit yesterday as I was uh, driving with uh, Gina Wickman that has written some amazing books like with some tractions that I so I really I smiled when I saw that uh, and uh, I really I really enjoyed that uh, episode yeah and uh, he 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 can read if you if for people out there it's definitely books that's worth revisiting in these times where you're thinking about you know revamping getting your business up to scratch because it's all about the basic things that makes businesses great and sustainable especially small businesses and that's that's the incredible thing about the, his books i think that's quite inspiring but yeah but yeah so that that's quite cool you had him as guest but uh, coming back to you mentioned the the pandemic uh, josh um how has that treated you in, in la we've heard a bit of stories from from new york and australia here on the podcast but how it's been in in la and and what's going on right now it's been horrific. It, it, it's been very difficult in, in the way that it's been impossible to get the uh, the pandemic under control. Um, as a restaurateur, it, it's been made more difficult by repeated openings and closings. Um, we were required to close for dine-in, then we were allowed to reopen. Uh, heavy investments were made there. And then we were forced yesterday to close completely again. Having said that, Everyone is focused on the on the public's health and safety. People are just concerned about their businesses and, and their livelihoods. And it's a mistake to, to think about the public health without thinking about the public's well-being as well. And so not, not that one is more important than the other. But people are really struggling and, and they want to make sure that, that they, they survive this. And, you know, when I started the podcast, I started the podcast with the idea that for the most part in the hospitality industry, we exist perpetually in survival mode. That nobody's trying to thrive. Nobody's trying to live their best life. Everyone's just trying to get through until next Monday. And I wondered if, if this pandemic could be an opportunity. I wondered, I wondered if there was, there, there was room during this, this great pause to rethink the, the foundational elements of this industry and start fresh to improve the margins to shorten the work week from 80 to 100 hours to 50 to 60, which is still more than most people work. I wondered if it was possible to create lasting cultural improvements within these businesses that we operate. And those are the ideas I've been exploring over the last few months. And what have, have the, the response been on like locally? Have you had uh, people contacting you locally that wanted to talk or had this been more like a, a global outreach to, to the industry? That is a great question. So let, let me start by saying that, and I, I don't know how it is in the UK, but in the US, every restaurateur does incredibly well until the day they go out of business. There is a, 
that there's a pridefulness and a uh, a lack of transparency that has permeated the industry for at least the 20 years that I've been in it, where no one is openly talking about their struggles. No one is vulnerable and, and, and open and honest about the financial hardships and the managerial frustrations and, and the operational hurdles that we have to go through day by day, you know, working in this ever-changing business that is operated by people that serves people. It's a bit, it's a very human experience. But when you talk to people and say, Hey, how are things going? They say, Oh, it's great. Best year ever, best month ever, best week ever. And then they go out of business the next day. And so I thought that the pandemic would afford us the opportunity for that transparency. So when I started the conversation, Michael, I didn't start it with, hey, what's wrong in your life? Hey, what's wrong in your business? I started the conversation from a point of vulnerability. And I said, this is what's wrong in my business. This is what's wrong in my life. These are the things that I'm struggling with. And nationally, the message resonated. It, it resonated most in, in California, where we deal with very, very comparable struggles. But the message has reached nationally, and I'm hoping now internationally, that, that there is a better path forward. And things don't need to be as hard as they are. And, and this is an industry that, that has seen very little innovation over the course of the last several hundred years um, from an operational standpoint. And now is the time. It's super interesting because we had these conversations before and I had it with uh, with other people as well that uh, it's this, this acceptance of uh, not making uh, enough profit is it's, it's good enough or you were just saying that, well, it's just for a period. We'll, we'll Next year we will get there, you know, and uh, I guess it's, it's not just not just driving profit for the sake of profit on the cost on because of the, your customers and your employees. No, it's it's about actually making sure that you are uh, viable over years, and I think I think that 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 has definitely been uh, when my mom and dad ran restaurants with definitely different profit margins than than we see today. As my dad said, I wouldn't get out of bed for two percent. Let's look at an apples to oranges comparison, right? You open your restaurant, you opened it five years ago, and you charge fifty five dollars for a steak. Five years later. You're charging $55 for a steak because that's what people will pay. And if you increase the price, they'll get pissed, right? Having said that, how many times have you gone to the gas station in the last five years? How many times has the price been different? We, you, you see the, these varying changes. Looking in the U.S. specifically, minimum wage has gone up consistently year after year after year. So your labor rates increase, but your prices stay the same which also has an effect on food costs, right? Because if I'm paying more minimum wage, so are the farmers. So food costs goes up. So labor cost and food cost goes up, but the price stays the same. So what happens is you have this ever shrinking profit margin, which leads to the situation that we're in in the US. I'm sure that, that if your listeners all took the opportunity to raise their hands and I said, how many of you have a week's worth of cash in the bank? Keep your hands up. You have two weeks worth of cash in the bank. Keep your hands up. Three weeks, four weeks. In four weeks, almost everybody's got their hands down, right? Nobody, nobody is banking enough cash to survive. Also, in this industry, because most of us didn't go to business school, because most of us 
we're bus boys that eventually found someone to finance our dreams. And then we reached a certain level of success because of it. Um, we, we didn't have the business savvy to know whether the business was doing well or not. It's great to have $100,000 in the bank, but when your burn rate is $75,000 a week, you basically have $25,000 in the bank, right? Until next week. And then you're broken in the hole again. So it, it, there are these basic business practices and these foundational beliefs that operate in every other industry that don't in ours. And I think it's due to an excessive workload, meaning you're working 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, there are infrastructural issues in the way that you can own a restaurant. And the, the simple fact that a dishwasher doesn't show up one day obliterates the next 24 hours for you. Um, and then thirdly, it's the lack of understanding when it comes to cash flows It is really what's, what's hindered us most. Yeah, and I guess that the pandemic have just, uh, what you're saying in between the line, the pandemic have just, in a way, elevated that issue around, uh, you know, there's like three areas you really need to master for on a restaurant successful. It's uh, building your, your system, it's building your culture, and then being commercially savvy and know your, your numbers inside out and understand how you drive sales, of course, as well. And these are the three areas you need to master, That what I've learned through you know, a lot of hard-earned experience in this way. But again, I guess that the, the big problem is when things like this hit, there's just not enough cash to survive more than one week for many, two weeks maybe, even less for some. Well, and it's, you know, busy isn't the goal, right? Profitable is the goal. And, and that's that's what I'm hoping comes out of the pandemic is, you know, restaurateurs as an industry we don't do a great job of working together. Everybody is undercutting everyone. Everyone, right? It's it's now about large chains offering you four appetizers for $9.99. And it skews the, the, the consumer's perspective. They don't see the food as worth more than that. So, you know, it's I, I'm actually in the process of writing a, an article and it talks about how happy hours should be far less joyous because it, it skews the customer's perspective. And, and over time, then it's about driving traffic on Mondays, right? Like how many discounts do I need to give? What do I need to do to get traffic on Monday? When I would say maybe as an industry, we need to be less desperate. Maybe we need to be less afraid of going out of business, which is a bold statement to make. But I'll say this, why don't, you know, at least, and I can only speak for the U.S. because, you know, infrastructurally, our economy is set up a bit differently. What if you set up a restaurant where you offered the maximum amount of value that you possibly could, but you charged a rate where you could easily pay all of your bills, you could easily pay yourself, you could pay a subordinate, that way you're only working 50 to 60 hours a week, you're able to provide subsidized health care to your employees, and give them a retirement program. What if you priced it out like that, and then the market goes, I'm not willing to pay that and you go out of business. But if everybody does that, the market will adjust. They will get used to paying more for good food and a good experience. I don't believe that, that we come out on the other side of this thing and go back to offering two for one or three for one or half off. I, I don't, I, I think it devalues the industry at large. I think it's desperate. I think if you have to offer discounts to get people in on a Monday, 
Maybe you just don't open on Mondays. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Or maybe you focus on building out your Friday, Saturday, Sunday business, and they only have a choice. You know, the only choice is to come in on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Tuesdays. Maybe we all run five-day-a-week businesses. I, I don't have the solutions, but I can tell you that, that through this great pause, we have the opportunity to ask really big questions and come up with really innovative answers. I think it's especially interesting, the, the thing you did. Let's just stay with this very easy one, the number of opening days. If you just go back to, let's say, the 90s, where my mom and dad ran restaurants, they had a number of their the units that was not open on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, they maybe only were open for, for, for serving in the evening. I think this seven-day thing has also been pushed on the, the cost you're taking on as an operator with your lease. And I understand that. There's a lease you need to burn the, burn the asset as much as possible because you're paying extortion rates and rents for, for this property. And I guess it starts again how you set up the business model. I actually put up some, what you're saying, it's like some clear principles about how you would like to oper operate on the other side because this, as you call it, the pause must make you able to reflect there's a different way forward because many operators you say they're always saying it's going great but they're just on the the borderline either to burnout or bankruptcy question everything question every decision you've made professionally i'll give you a great example i i'm all about opening the kimono so at my restaurant my rent is twenty one thousand dollars a month twenty one thousand dollars a month that is a huge amount of money. Did I make enough money in the first year to make that number make sense? Absolutely not. Second year, absolutely not, but closer. We didn't really start making money until year three. If I, if I was able to go back in time with the same perspective that I have today, I would have turned to the landlord and said, I'll give you 5%, I'll give you $5,000 a month base rent, and I'll pay you 5% of my net sale. And prior to the pandemic, he would have made more than $21,000 a month. But I wouldn't have almost bankrupted myself year one, year two, and year three trying to cover that rental cost. We have to be less desperate. And we have to be less desperate as an industry. We have to be willing to walk away from deals that we know not to be good. We have to be less optimistic and more practical. And instead of saying, Yes, I know that there have been four other restaurants in this space in the last 10 years, but I'm the one that's going to make it. We say we're going to hedge our bet. We're, we're, we're going to create a scenario where every strategic partner we work with is invested in our success. That is the path forward. Maybe not for you, maybe not for the industry, but for me, I will not move forward as an owner and an operator until I devise a scenario whereby I am guaranteed to win, where, where the numbers work no matter what, that, that, that I've crafted a business that works on a sliding scale so that if I make $30,000 in a month, I make money, and if I make $100,000 in a month, I make money. But it, it, there has to be more skin in the game across the board. How did we even end up in a situation? Who built out the culture? whereby people are bragging about working 80 to 100 hours a week, which I used to do, where people are bragging about how hard it is 
to make money and how high the failure rate is and how low the net profits are. Like these are these have been badges of honor for generations. And this is the opportunity to stop that. I, I just, and, and, and the reason I ask all of these questions and the reason I say all of these things that I think is because I didn't think these things four months ago. And I didn't ask these questions four months ago. All of this came out of the pandemic. It all came out of me no longer working 80 to 100 hours a week. It came out of me being on the unemployment line like everyone else with a restaurant that was in a hibernation state and, and wondering how I ended up in this place. How, how was it possible that at 40 years old with 20 years experience in this business, I didn't know how financially insecure I was. And I don't need anyone to stand up and say, oh, me too, because I know how everyone else is doing because I see all the other restaurants closing around me. So I know we're all in the same boat. I'll just be the one to say it first. Like, you know, when you start asking yourself those questions, I guess also it hurts, you know, in a way, because it's, it's, a, big, it's a big thing to, to admit that you, I didn't know. I didn't know my numbers. I, I, I presumed I did, but I really didn't know and understand how painful this could potentially be. And I, you mentioned before we went on the uh, the, the podcast that, you know, now that, uh, you know, that the future locally with you look even more dire right now with them shutting down restaurants again. Uh, what, what, what are you going to do to, if we just take the restaurant business, I know you have the, the tech business as well, uh, running, uh, but I guess it's also depending on restaurants being open uh, in some kind of form. But what are you doing to bounce back in this? You know, uh, in all this, you know, besides asking these very relevant questions, well, what what is the, what is the steps you're taking right now to come out better on the other side? When that that ever gonna happen? In a month, two months, three months? Um, what 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 is it? What is your tactics? So I went back to all of my vendors. I renegotiated my rates. I went back to my landlord. I said, I want to renegotiate the lease. And, and I, I, I would hate to think that anyone listening, and I'm sure I've done a great job of convincing you that I am far from a genius. I am just trying to figure this out like everyone else. The strategic advantage that I have over my vendors, over my landlord, over other restaurateurs is I see the path forward. And I'm willing to walk away from any deal that doesn't build out the life that I want. I asked myself two questions the day I shut down the restaurant. Number one, what do I want my life to look like moving forward? And then two, what do I need to do to get there? And how can I be of service to myself, to my family, to my community and my industry in that process? And it, everything else became incredibly clear. Uh, I, I offered the, the $5,000 down and, and 5% of net sales to, uh, to the landlord. And he said, no. And I said, okay, then I'm going to walk away from the lease. I'm just not going to do this. I'm not. And then a real negotiation started, right? Once he realized that I didn't care. Once I told him, hey, like, I know that we know I'm screwed, but what you don't realize is you and all of the other commercial landlords are screwed too. I, uh, I have this wonderful working relationship with Yelp. Uh, they, are, they are the sponsor for my podcast. They have provided me the platform uh, that I use to have these conversations with people inside and outside of the industry. And, and through them, I, I've been afforded 
an amazing amount of data. And it looks like in the U.S., 53% of all restaurants are going to permanently close. What does that do to the commercial real estate market? Well, as an opportunist, I can tell you that I'll be able to get dozens, hundreds of second generation restaurants that are ready to open if I want. And it's not important that you understand that and that I understand that. It's important that my landlord understands that, right? Because that's, that, that is an opportunity to negotiate. As I told him, this is a 6,000 square foot, two-story restaurant. If I walk away tomorrow, this thing is going to sit vacant for 18 months and your mortgage is still due every month. And not to say that my landlord is a bad guy, because he's a great guy. But either we're working together or we're not. And the struggle for most landlords in this moment is that over the years, there have been ebbs and flows in business, but landlords have been largely unaffected. The rent still comes in on time and it comes on time every month, regardless of economic conditions. And that's no longer going to be the pace. Either they're going to invest in us and our future, or they're going to have a, a ton of vacancies. I think there's a couple of things you said. I think especially the thing about what kind of life do I want to have? Because, you know, any business is determined by, you know, how great the founder or the, the business owner feels. I know it gets different when you go up on, on corporate level and up there. We just talk about small businesses and restaurants, you know, small restaurant operations. It's so important that you, because it's an energy business and, and, and if you are not in the right place and you are, not achieving those things, it's never going to be a great success because it's just wrong from the outset. And then the whole thing about, you know, it's a partnership. And if you look at the most successful businesses in the world, and I think I worked for one of them, that was McDonald's, and that was different. They were great at putting other people's skin in the game and saying, you are now a partner, and that means you have to invest. And then you will, you will harvest further down the line. But you have to invest now to make sure. I think it's a very healthy approach in business that we, we all have to have skin in the game in some kind of way. And we all, so it's not one one person to lose all the time. I think that was a very good reflection. But I just really like the ones that, because there's so many other things you can go and do than keep on putting money into a dream that's maybe not going to happen because the, the deal is just not right. You should walk away from that deal. You will probably walk away from that property deal if it didn't work out. Absolutely. Here's, here's what I found in the last four months. Quitting is the hardest, easiest thing you'll ever do. You know, it, it's, and I, I was so scared to have the conversation with my landlord. But when I said, I'll drop off the keys today, do you want me to drop off the keys today? It was cathartic. There was a release, right? Because I was taking control of my own life. I was taking control of my own destiny. I, I you know, the, the conversation that we could have for hours revolves around one concept, and it's fear. And it's something we should all talk about a lot more because everyone's afraid of going out of business. And I would argue, why? If you don't have a sustainable model, if it's not working, do all of the things that you need to do to make it work. And then, like, I don't, I don't understand why every restaurant in America wouldn't reopen with prices being 50% higher. And they should work every day to add 50% more value to that customer service experience. 
right? I don't think you short, you shortchange the consumer at all, right? So maybe things are embossed or branded or, you know, through culture, you're providing a more intimate and personalized customer service experience. Like, why wouldn't you charge what you need to charge? And, and why wouldn't you pay what you need to pay to get world-class people involved? It, it's the whole... The whole industry has been propped up because of fear. Like a 53% closure rate in the U.S. doesn't tell you that the pandemic had a devastating effect on the restaurant industry. What it tells you is, is that the restaurant industry was devastated. And that was brought to light by a global pandemic. I guess it was just the, the last push you got there. You know, like the, the industry in general, I think you can, that number 50 to 65 is I, from people I've talked across the world is the number everybody talks about in every market. So I think what the pandemic just is would just blow the card house. Michael, Microsoft has enough money in the bank to run for six months without taking in a single dollar. What are they doing right that we're doing wrong? Why can't we live that life? And, and, and it's because we are unwilling to advocate for ourselves. And I believe it comes from a good place. There's a restaurant out here called Chick-fil-A. I, I don't know if you have it in the UK. Yeah, they tried to, to, to launch it uh, pre-pandemic, but they, they, they ran into some, some challenges getting into the market. But I know them really well, yeah. So they had a sign in the window. I, I drove by one about six months ago. They had a sign in the window and it said, if you have a servant's heart, please apply, we're hiring. And I thought to myself, as, as a restaurateur, as a hospitality professional, as someone that spent their entire adult life in this industry, I thought, man, that really resonates with me. Like, I have a servant's heart. But I thought, what an amazing way to pre-select, right? Because most of the population is going to look at that sign and say, I'm not a servant. I'm not going to serve anyone. That's gross. I'll never work there. But it, it, it's a great way to pre-select, and it, it's also a wonderful way to describe, you know, the sentiment and the motivations within this industry. By and large, we do enjoy serving people, and because of that, we the public's acceptance is incredibly important. And so we don't advocate for ourselves; we spend our careers and our lives advocating for others, making sure that everyone has access to great food, making sure that every employee is happy. And, and we don't spend as much time focused on the foundational elements of our business that'll make us happy. Because I truly believe you can have it all. I don't think everyone can have it all. I think that the, the bloodletting that you've seen with a 53% closure rate is probably warranted. I think that, that it's speaking at least in the US that the market was saturated. And it was saturated by and large by people that had no business in this industry, by people that won the lottery or got an inheritance and decided they wanted to open a restaurant and, you know, just jump into an industry that I've spent my entire life in and try and do what I do. I, I think that barriers to entry will be much higher moving forward. And I think that's a good thing. But I, I think that there's an opportunity now. And I know I keep saying the same thing over and over again but to carve out the lives that we want for ourselves. And I don't think we have to look internally to do that. I think that you can look externally. Look at my podcast as an example. I had like world famous sports marketer David Meltzer on and Gina Wickman on and all of these other people that have nothing to do with the hospitality industry. 
And yet they're able to contribute directly to the industry because more than anything, the restaurant business is a business. And so if we're able to take successful business fundamentals from other industries and implement them in our own businesses, we'll be better off. Yeah, and I guess it comes back again to not just seek inspiration from your 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 closest network as you often do in, in restaurants. You go to your friend that runs a restaurant and you take their advice. You actually need to think if you want to really scale your business up to a successful business, you need to go and look at successful businesses, no matter what industry they've been in, and work with people that has worked with these businesses so they because they understand the ins and out of this, you know. Um, and it's quite interesting. I always say uh, it's quite funny. Jim Collins, I don't know if you know Jim Collins, an American uh, professor that looked into successful businesses in his book, Good to Great. But there's no restaurant businesses in that book. Right. And as I, <laughs> as I said many years ago, when I finished my master degree in, uh, in organizational change and said, okay, we need to start to build our, so we build a business on the back of the philosophies in the, in the good to great. And actually it helped us. We didn't, we, we were not perfect, but we went on a journey looking at our business and we were shocked how, you know, I would say poor we were at many, many things you needed to be good at when we started evaluating ourselves as a leadership team and organization. And that was our journey to become great. And that became the mission. And I think if you set out for that and actually get inspiration from different sources, as you say, you definitely will have a chance and you start to think about it as a business as you go forward. It's a, exactly. It's all about breaking the cultural norms within the industry. Uh, Jim Collins' book had a huge impact on my life as well. Uh, the biggest takeaway from that book for me was that employees, the best employees, do not need to be managed or motivated. They internally motivate, they self-motivate, and they self-manage. And, and I think that that's a huge lesson. Um, I spend most of my time managing my people, trying to convince them to show up on time, show up in uniform, uh, know everything there is to know about the menu, uh, and to show up you know, with, with a great attitude, excited and enthusiastic to share this experience with other people. But when I pivoted to, to what Collins describes as this self-management, self-motivation uh, infrastructure, everything changed. I lost half the staff, um, but the half that stayed managed themselves. You think about all of the cultural norms. I'll give you another great example. Prune Proper is a dry house, meaning the employees aren't allowed to drink on shift or off. They can't drink on site. We invest an incredible amount of money in training our people and making sure that they have uh, the best life possible. Everything that I described in terms of a, you know, a, a holistic perspective, whether it be you know the fact that the restaurant achieved carbon neutrality in the month of March right before we shut down, or the fact that, that we offer subsidized healthcare to our people, we try to be the exception of the rule in every way. But in making that investment in our team, we couldn't let them drink on shift. And when I've said that before, in mixed company with, with other owners and operators, they gas. And I think to myself, like, bankers don't drink during the work day and lawyers don't drink during the work day. Like, on what planet would a professional organization employ people that are intoxicated? It was in looking outside the industry for the successful norms that exist that I was able to look internally 
into our own organization and say, it just doesn't make sense that people would, would drink at work. It's super, uh, super interesting. Uh, these, uh, you know, um, when you start to create this, uh, you know, what he calls a discipline around things. And you said you lose some people, but the one that stays are the right people. Because they they want they want to be part of this kind of culture you're creating, and you and your culture shouldn't be for for everyone. And we know all all about that. But it, it's so interesting if you start to you know when you have this time off as an operator, if you start reading, good to great, uh, Gino Wickman's uh, Traction. I think that there will be two great books to dive into and start asking yourself some of the questions you're already putting up. But coming a bit back to so so, I want to talk a bit about this as well. Because we, we we set the the bar for a very dire future for the food and drinks industry or hospitality. What is your thoughts about the future for hospitality as you see it right now? The next, let's just say, the next twelve to eighteen months. How does it look? Besides, there's going to be probably a lot of businesses going out of business. But what else do you see? If there, is there any optimism? There's tons of optimism. Oh my god! So. I don't know if my restaurant will survive, but the industry will. And the industry will survive because I a, a few different things. One, you're looking at decreased competition. With a 53% closure rate in the US, that means half of all restaurants are closed, which means people have 53% fewer options. So the people that do survive will have the opportunity to thrive in a market that isn't artificially inflated by a good economy. Uh, because as I'm sure you know, there were tons of restaurants that have been around for a year, two years, three years, four years, five years that aren't great, right? But because we we have existed in a great economy, they've been able to survive because there was plenty of money to go around. So I I think the reduced competition will will increase uh, the the volume for the restaurants that make it. Two, you've got, let's say, 100% of all restaurant employees out there, but only... 47% 47% of the jobs available. We're going to go from a labor shortage to a labor surplus. That means you'll get to be picky. That means that that, that line cook that you had that was world-class that left because he wanted to go try other cuisines is going to come back and he's going to stay because there are fewer jobs out there. And we're going to transition out of this phase of part-timers, that aren't particularly interested in the industry. They're just looking for quick cash and easy work with flexible hours into lifers, people that are truly passionate about hospitality, people that are truly passionate about giving a, a positive customer service experience, people that are truly invested in your dreams and your mission and the goals that your restaurant has, has set. Those will be the people that we employ as long as we choose carefully. Lord knows they're out there. And then lastly, I, I think that what you'll see is I think you'll see more responsible operation of these locations. I think that you'll see that it might take 80 to 100 hours to get the thing back up and running, but that people aren't going to want to go back to that life long term. And, you know, as an example, I have a two-year-old daughter. And so after spending more time with her in the last three months than I have in the last two years, I'm not going to go back to being absent in her life long term. It's not going to happen. I'm going to be the one that wakes her up in the morning and feeds her breakfast and gives her a bath at night and puts her down to bed. I, I want to be part of those processes. 
and, and my career will no longer sit center stage in my life. My career will contribute to my life as opposed to becoming my life. So, you know, how do I envision things? I think that you'll end up with more money, a better staff, and a better work-life balance. I actually agree with you on all these things. If uh, if you if you if you you know use this opportunity, there's definitely a chance for creating that because we have a blank canvas in a way. But how how do you keep yourself you know fit for fight in all this? Because the from you know you must also been under extreme pressure as many others when this hit. And how do you actually keep yourself like you know focused, have the right energy, having time? You know because there's enough work to do even though the restaurant is not open. I guess, and uh, and and business is not usual. There's there's so much tidying up to be done after a collapse like this. I never stopped working, so it, it's the you know I I closed the restaurant uh, on a Sunday and I was back at work the 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 following Monday. It's for for me. It's been about being in regular communication with my landlord, regular communication with my vendors, regular communication with my staff, just letting everyone know that I don't know. But when I do, everyone will know. Uh, I've been working on the hospitality services business. I was able to get a government subsidy and through the tech company, I was able to create an initiative called the 60 for 60, where we're able to offer our entire suite of services to, uh, to 60 restaurants for 60 days at no cost, no strings attached. And so in building out that, 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 that infrastructure and in, in creating a true suite of services whereby we're able to take care of all of a restaurant's incoming communications, whether it be telephone, text message, online chat, we're, we're able to facilitate that communication with a dedicated reservationist eight hours a day, five days a week, and we're able to do it with no associated costs to help people get open and stay open. And then the podcast. Uh, you know, it's, Yelp has given me this amazing platform whereby I'm able to talk to millions of people a week. And I, I have used that opportunity selfishly to learn. So the people that I have on the show are the people that I have questions for. And I, it, it, is, it is a private conversation that is recorded and submitted to the public. But it's not like the premise is, oh, the world wants to know this. It's, I'm struggling to figure out the path forward. And I'm going to these individuals to figure out what they're doing so that I can then develop the plan for myself. So it, it, it's a very personalized journey taking place on a public platform. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the last part is my family. I'm doing what I said I was going to do. I wake up in the morning. I spend time with my family. I take my dog for a walk. I take my daughter to the park. We go to the beach almost every day. Uh, I'm really living my best life. And, and I can tell you that, that, that the financial hardships that we are experiencing as a community and as an industry in the short term can easily be offset by cherishing the, this time with the ones we love. Money will come and go. But my daughter's only two once. It's super interesting because it's uh, more like it's like you are the way you keep yourself uh, above the ordinary is having this uh, infinitive mindset about it instead of the finite that you know we're gonna run out but you you know there will be opportunities after this and I guess also 
I wouldn't even call it, by investing your time in in different things, you you grow with that and means that you're stronger if you decide to continue your restaurant business on the other side because you're you're building your skills because I think that's the most important thing I said to people. Well, don't 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 stop. I don't mean work harder or longer. Find a balance and then continue innovating yourself and whatever you can innovate in your business because there will be another side of this and you have to be ready and you're not ready if you hibernate and you're not doing anything, which uh, unfortunately I've seen some operators make that decision, which I don't think is going to come out good for them in the other end. But I've also seen other that works very hard in the background to do exactly what you said, be ready and have a more balanced life. And I heard that from more guests on the podcast and people I talk with privately as well that this 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 way of living they don't want to lose that after the uh, whatever the lockdown or the pandemic uh, is easing on the other side so that that's super interesting and just that you had had those reflections as well Michael we have to loosen our grip we really do we 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 have to we we have to sit calmly in the waters of uncertainty uh, there's no one that's listening to this podcast that can say today that they're doing exactly what they thought they were going to be doing at 16 years old, right? Our, our lives take unexpected turns. And either, either you commit and dedicate yourself to enjoying the ride or you don't. But to try and plan out the next six months, the next six years, it's, it's an impossible task. And the global pandemic just highlights something that has always been the case, right? You just don't know what's around the corner. All you can do is have this infinite mindset, like you said. Um, Simon Sinek wrote a great book about it. Gina Wickman in the podcast that we did talks about specifically thinking of your life in 10-year blocks and saying, what are the goals broadly that I want to achieve in the next 10 years? And at 10 years after that, 10 years after that. And it creates an infinite mindset. I am 40 years old. So if I say, what do I want to accomplish by 50? Does the pandemic even matter? And the answer is no, because it's a blip on the radar. Even if, even if this pandemic obliterates my life for the next three years, I still have seven years to get it back on track to achieve the goals that I wanted to achieve by the time I'm 50. Also, you can look at me at, at, at a, as a 40-year-old and say, how many 10-year blocks do I have left? probably four to five. So what are the goals for each one of those blocks? And, and having a long-term mindset. And again, I'm not advocating that you come up with a 10-year plan. What I'm advocating is that you set up goals for the next 10 years and the next 10 years after that. And you chart broadly what you want your life to look like during those blocks of time. Because in doing so, the pressure comes off. Yeah, and also you don't jump on everything. You ask those questions you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast instead of you you asking them themselves yourself for the outset. Is this actually going to give me what I'm looking for in ten years' time? If I'm investing a number of years in this, will this actually give me that? And it doesn't have to be profit; it could be other things that you want to to achieve within that. Is that going to give me more time with my family? Is this going to give me less time with my family? And if it's giving you less time and you wanted more time, then it's probably a bad idea. Here's the question that ruined my life, that obliterated my mindset and, and set me off on the path I'm on today. And it was the day I closed the restaurant. 
I thought to myself, I, I helped clean up and I dusted everything off and I made sure that everything was set up and we put everything away. And I thought to myself, my dream was always to become a restaurateur. When did I become a restaurant manager? Because being a restaurateur is more than just the paperwork, but I wasn't. I was a restaurant manager with an equity stake in, in the business. But that wasn't, that wasn't my dream. My dream was never to work in the business. It was always to work on the business. My focus was always on legacy. So how did I end up washing dishes in the scullery on a Friday night when the dishwasher didn't show up? Where did I go wrong? How, did, how, how many miscalculations did I make between then and now that has led me to the situation that I'm in? And how many of the people listening think that they're restaurateurs when they're actually just restaurant managers with equity. And, and, and if that is the life that you need to live in order to be a restaurateur, is that a compromise worth making? It's just something to explore, you know? I love that uh, way of uh, explaining it. I, th I totally agree. And uh, it's, it's a tough question. Uh, it's a question I've asked, you know, many of the, the people I've worked with, either uh, they've been clients or, They've been, you know, younger managers. Uh, well, what is it that, you know, what is that you really want to achieve in the end of it? So the, the behaviors you're doing now, as you say, washing the dishes, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing because you can't go and do it. And there's always the off day or one day it's, it's healthy to do and get your hands dirty. But so, you also have to ask you the question, what are the consequences of you doing that often? And it becomes like, that's what you do every Friday or every 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 twice every twice every every second week or so on so spot on if if you were um, in the end of the podcast joss i always uh ask uh, my guests uh, what would your top three advice be right now to leaders out there what is it that they, they they need to to reflect on what do they need to do to to uh to navigate more safely through how the world looks right now because uh, in a way we have to look at the world where we are right now That's a great question. So first is, I, I, I would take the time as a human, as, a, as an individual, as a person, uh, to, to very clearly decide what kind of life you want to lead. What does that look like? What time do you wake up in the morning? What do you do during the day? What time do you go to bed at night? What, what, are, what are your hobbies? What are your days off? Uh, are you available by telephone to your employees? Answer all of those questions and paint a very clear picture of what you want your life to look like. Step two, act on that. And if that means you have to sell your restaurant or walk away from your lease, do it. Because they, 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 the third is, don't be afraid to quit. Like Quitting is a source of empowerment. It, there, there's this, this phrase called strategic quitting, right? It, where you are empowered to say, this does not work for me. I am not going to do it anymore. We must eliminate that fear of failure from our life and understand that, that success is a long-term goal and failure, not success, failure is fleeting. You make one bad mistake, you suffer for it in the short term and you move on. And if you have, you have envisioned a life whereby you are no longer able to actively manage your restaurant, then so be it. And, and I guess to cap it off, 
I'll give you an example. My restaurant's located in downtown Los Angeles. I'm currently located in Carlsbad, California, about an hour and a half away in the sleepy little beach town. And the reason being, I wanted to make sure that when my restaurant reopens, I'm not the guy running it. If we reopen, I will no longer actively manage my restaurant. Either I, I will truly step into that role of visionary and restaurateur, or I'll bring it to the ground. But no more compromises. No more compromises moving forward. Have you moved there as part of this? Um... I did. It's, you know, when, when you open your first restaurant, when you open your first bar, it's this leap of faith. You're just jumping into the deep end. And what I found is that, you know, the best of us learn to swim pretty quick. And I, I did the same thing here. I shut down the restaurant. I packed up my family and, and I moved to the beach. I did it in the midst of a global pandemic and, and a statewide quarantine because I, I know exactly what kind of life I want to lead. And it starts here. And I will figure the rest out as we go. You have to take that first brave decision in a way. And that's also, you shouldn't be afraid to break an egg or two in, in what we're going through. Because I think it's so key, as you say, that you need to set the terms for the life you want. Because else you can't be in what we talked about as well, as service for, for other people if you don't live on your own terms. Um, so it's it's a very 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 uh, very strong advice there, and uh, and I I'm hundred percent sure when people people listen to this, they will probably be reflecting a lot about how they want to return to to their business and how they want it to operate after the pandemic or whatever we call it, the new normal. There's many words for for the same thing. Just it's been an absolutely pleasure as always to, to talk with you and uh, we, we could go on for hours. I, I know that from prior conversations. So I will, I will cut it off here and say, thank you so much for your insight, your brilliant uh, thoughts, your reflection, the questions you raised for, for, for the community out there. I'm sure yeah, there's going to be some, some positive response to this. I also want to send you, you, your family, the team, you're working with in the different platforms you're working on the restaurant the podcast and the tech company all the the power and energy and the good luck you need to to get on on the other side of this i love you for it man thank you so much i've really enjoyed this Josh, thank you so much for your honest conversation about the challenges that are hitting you and how you are navigating the storm and remember out there don't fear to fail if you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate, or subscribe to one of our channels. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick. <laughs>